0: Um, when they asked if I would uh, do this workshop, I, I said it's not what I usually do. <laughs> and I uh, teach at Fresno State in the sociology department. Uh, I teach philanthropy and grant writing and program development, social um, entrepreneurship. There, this is um, evangelism isn't something I think about. You know, the classes I teach at Pacific are in leadership, uh, not evangelism. Uh, I took evangelism courses in school, but I did not consider that this was something that I excelled in, and uh, thought it was rather odd that I would be asked to, to lead the workshop and Then, uh, over the couple of months from being asked to do it, people started to ask questions and say things to me and I thought maybe um, maybe i 'm doing it and i don 't even realize it uh, and The person who helped me to see that and crystallize it a little bit more than anyone else was my mail carrier. And um, I uh, just found out her name. Um, It's Annette. And she's been my mail carrier uh, for three years now. And she one day was waiting out by my mailbox just uh, about a month ago. And I said, are you okay? And she explained to me that I am the first stop after her break. She in fact gets to sit in front of my house for a long time Um, She works for the post office. But she sits in front of my house for a while and takes her break. And so before she delivers my mail, she actually has time to look through it. And uh, which made me momentarily uncomfortable. And uh, then she explains all this to me. And she said, so can I ask you something? And I said, yeah. She said, um, told me something was going on in her life. She said, would you pray for me? And I and and, and I did not have the most Christian response. I said, Why? Uh, thinking, what in my mail makes you think you can, I will pray for you? And she said, Well, I can, I can tell by the kind of mail you get. You, you have people who write you letters. And so apparently you must be the kind of person who can talk to, and maybe you pray because I've seen some other things too. And I said, "Yeah, so what's going on?" And we started talking. And now I get the mail and a post-it note of this is going on in my life. And I'm following, kind of tracking this um, this person that that I I've only seen her drop mail in my box and usually just wave at her, you know, as she's leaving. And don't see her all that often. And I thought. If someone like that asks me if I pray for them, maybe I'm doing more evangelism than I think. Because we confuse sometimes that, that idea that evangelism is, is the idea of, you know, we, we have attributed this phrase to St. Francis, at all times preach the gospel, when necessary use words. We've, uh, we have to, ne- sometimes it's necessary to use words. And because she saw something that maybe she was attracted to, And I thought, maybe it it is evangelism, and I'm not thinking that way. Evangelism uh, is translated in the German with an interesting phrase, gospeller, which means the person who tells the good news. There is always within evangelism that act of telling it, telling the good news. Gospel always implies the good news of the story of Jesus. And as we heard in Rick's presentation on worldviews this morning, it's not just talking about God. It's telling people about Jesus, and our relationship with Jesus, and so I want to use the metaphor this morning of, of being a fountain and what that looks like, and so hopefully you'll see some, some things in here that will be helpful. Why it, should this matter? Well, just a, a few things that you know, come from our, our research with Outreach. One is America is the only continent where Christianity is not growing. Um, um, in fact, we are in decline in Christianity. Uh, $500 spent in ministry in the last 15 years with no appreciable growth. In fact, the more money we spend in ministry, the fewer people convert, um, which is a, a really interesting um, concept. Church attendance has decreased 9.5% in the past 10 years, while the population has increased 11.4%. In Fresno, only 2% of the churches have, uh, have experienced numerical growth. Uh, in the past five years. Um, we happen to be one of the 2%. Every other church is in decline. Uh, and the, the decline of the other churches in Fresno is in double digits. If, uh, so it kind of brings it right down to us. Half of all churches last year didn't add one new member through conversion growth. Um, half of all the churches uh, in America did not add anyone by conversion. When church members were asked what the purpose of the church is, 85% it's to, to meet their families' needs, and 15% said the church is to reach the lost. Um, th- that is it's kind of like standing and looking at a burning house and explaining it's burning for these reasons without going in and, and doing anything to put the fire out. And so uh, what I want to talk to you uh, in our time we have together and give you an opportunity to respond is how do we put that fire out? What do we do about that? I uh, will tell you, I was, I'm uncomfortable sometimes in talking about it, because I grew up in a home that um, my mom and dad helped people, help pastors plant churches. And I uh, cannot remember in, in my childhood, up until about, I was 16 years old, spending a Tuesday or Thursday night without going with my mom and dad to knock on doors. Uh, we were an evangelical equivalent to Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. Uh, we knocked on doors. Either my mom or my dad would ask them, if you die tonight, do you know where you would spend eternity? And people would stand with total shock, like, um, I'm cooking dinner uh, now, I'm not quite sure. And my brothers and I were usually right along with them. And I grew up hearing that. And sometimes people would say, well, I'd go to hell. And they would tell them how they couldn't and why they shouldn't. And I I heard that all my life, and I thought you know, will you ever see those people again? And is that the way to do that? And if that's the only way to do it, I really don't want to do that. Um, then I was a part of a ministry in college that actually did this weird thing during a period of time in a, um, a crusade you know, called Here's Life, uh, where we actually uh, called people at, randomly from the phone book and said, Hi, do you have time for a spiritual survey? If you die tonight, do you know where you would spend eternity? And you've just randomly dialed a number. And you really don't even know who you're talking to when they go, uh, I'm not sure. And then you walk through the four laws with them. And then you say, well, you should get in touch with a local church. Thanks. And then dial the next number. I think that's one of the things I'm, I'm going to have to stand before God and apologize for. I'm so sorry. Because I think I may have, instead of helping the person get into heaven, I think I may have totally confused them. And what is that going to do? I heard last night a story of somebody said, we we saw 52 children come to faith, and I thought, who's going to help them now grow in faith? What's going to happen to them now? And I, I think evangelism is always connected, as we see it in the New Testament, to the church. If you look in Ephesians 4, and if you'll turn to Ephesians 4, the 11th chapter, um, it it says that he he gave some to be prophets, some to be apostles, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, teachers, for the equipping of the saints or the building of the body so that people could come to full maturity. And and understanding that the purpose of evangelism is, is not just to help people have fire insurance, but to connect them to relationships the purpose of, of evangelism is always connected to the church. And new evangelism is not just introducing people to Jesus, but introducing people to Jesus' as people. Because evangelism without the relationships that follow in the church gets to be fairly empty and confusing. The point is not just heaven. Heaven. The point is to grow in grace and to understand and how to move toward maturity. It's Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. Harry, yeah. You have a question? Um, doesn't Jesus say, he didn't say to make converts, does he? He doesn't say to make converts. He says go and make disciples. Yeah. And so this whole making converts can get really confusing. We confuse these three things. Uh, one is, and, and they, they cross over, one is that line of, of outreach. And that's things that we do to to make Jesus attractive. That they, uh, A lot of outreach activities, telling people, inviting people to church, having things where you can invite them. Uh, a lot of churches have no idea that they have no outreach identity at all. Um, we just finished a survey with a church here in, in Fresno and, and surveyed 1,000 homes around that church, asked them, what is your opinion of, that, of the church that literally sits in the geographic center of those 1,000 homes? Um, the majority of people said, we have no opinion at all of them. In fact, we didn't know they were still operating as a church. Um, the majority of people said, we thought they had become a daycare center. Um, and and it's, it's interesting that outreach is your church's identity, but outreach is also your identity. Outreach is, um, outreach was that conversation I had with my mail carrier. I read your mail. I thought, you do. So You must be the kind of person who prays. You must be the kind of person I could talk to about things. You must be, I see, there, there's outreach. Now evangelism, it moves in. Outreach leads to evangelism. You've got to have the relationship first in order to have the conversation. Evangelism is always the conversation. You know, we don't do evangelism by putting up a sign or putting a bumper sticker on something or uh, having an event. That's outreach. Evangelism is when you can actually sit and talk to a person and and you first start by talking about what and what is going on with Jesus and you. And you have to initiate it, which leads to conversion and salvation. Now, two of these things are things that that we have responsibility for. The third one is God's. We don't convert anybody. We don't save anybody. God does that. But we are tools in the first two. The phrase that um, we use a lot yeah, in Campus Crusade is sharing the good news of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. That our responsibility is to share the good news. And, and God takes care of what people do with that. It, it's hard. Our, but our, our belief is that people are going to be around and last forever and people are eternal. And so our relationship with them matters. But sometimes we confuse Evangelism um, with the product. We're not selling Jesus. It's not a product to get people to adopt. It's, you know, and sometimes you hear people talk about evangelism as if it's, it's Google. Uh, it's, it's the next great thing. It's, hey, you know, tried everything else. Try Jesus. Uh, to the point you know, it's been sloganeered, which diminishes the gospel. Um, I, I, I'm offended, and I think we should be offended when we reduce his redemptive act to, to a bumper sticker. Because that says that it's easy. And, and coming to Christ isn't easy. Having a relationship with Jesus isn't supposed to be, you know. Hey, let's just—I, you know—I I didn't believe, and all of a sudden, I just now I do, and everything's different. Well, it's it's progressive; and it changes. It's not that I used gain until this week, and now I've changed to tide. Evangelism isn't product placement. And uh, we usually think that a person has been evangelized when they change their language. When they stop saying, uh, I'm thinking about you, and start saying, I'm praying for you. When they stop ending their letters with sincerely and start adding blessings. Uh, it, it's, uh, conversion is not language change. That may be evidence, but it's not the real thing. And so evangelism isn't just getting people to adopt our, our product. The, n- the next issue is that we sometimes think that evangelism means that you are, uh, conversion is that you're more Jesus conscious. And so you filter your conversation again with Jesus and God talk. Yeah, that's not, that may be evidence, but it's not evangelism. Because there are lots of people who have Jesus and God talk who don't know him. Um, I I teach at Fresno State. I'm friends in in my department with a person who who teaches uh, sociology of religion. Um, is one of the best conversationalists about Jesus I know. I don't think she knows him. um, But we certainly do talk about him a, a lot. And... Talking about Jesus is very different from knowing Jesus. And uh, when, when you know him, there's other change in your life. And so we make the mistake that the conversation about Jesus, and even spiritual things, is what makes the difference. The, the third way is it's in the relationships, that we aren't help wanting people to convert to Christianity, we want people to have a relationship with Jesus. That it's our relationships with people that is the real evangelism. It, it wasn't that my postal carrier recognized that I don't get porn, that I, but I do get certain magazines. And um, she had read you know, apparently some of the things that I got and she noticed I have handwritten letters It was, she said, I I can tell that people trust you because I read something on the back of an envelope. I said, you're kidding. Uh, (laughs) And I'm really interested in that now. And uh, what what did you read? Which made me start to think, she's not really interested in a a new product. She wants to know what it's like to have those relationships. She wants to know what what, what is that like, It it comes down to relationship. We know this, but we believe that evangelism has to be product-centered and not relationship-centered. And all of that leads to where I I really want to take us, that in John, um, Jesus says, If thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him that evangelism is when it starts to well up out of you, people come and recognize they can take a drink. But if it's not welling up coming out of you, then we're going to actually repel people from us rather than draw them to us. And I I, I started to think about that and why, you know, What is there in the the weird kind of life that I lead that would actually make somebody ask me, I thought, um, does she want a drink of what I'm drinking? Then uh, another conversation which actually frightened me again with a a student um, at, at Fresno State and she, we were at a, at a conference with about 20 students, and she said, I, I, can I ask you a question that's personal? And um, that's, sure, yeah. <laughs> and I, I know her name, and I tell you, I, I've only known her a semester. And she, she said, when did you start following Jesus? And I, I, I probably didn't give the best response again by saying, what makes you think? <laughs> what makes you think I do? Uh, very defensive. Uh, because it's Fresno State. Um, I teach at Pacific too, and I thought, have I said something? Have I, you know, what, what have I done? And I, I really want really to know, what, what, what makes you think that? And she said, I, I've been looking into that, and you said some things that makes me think that maybe you, you follow him. But I, I'm, I'm curious about that. Well, I think this is evangelism, but I don't. I don't have my four laws handy. <laughs> um, what makes you? And, and I and so I kept asking her and saying, what What is it? And she said, um, You told us that you'd bend over backwards to make us successful in class. And I said, Yeah. And I'll do whatever I need to do to help you understand this stuff. And she said, I think only somebody who follows somebody like Jesus would say something like that. And I, I didn't want to argue at that point. Uh, I said, You're really? And she said, How do I get that? Which is exactly what we want people to ask us. But if we're living lives that don't seem very attractive, that don't, that seem fairly self-centered, if we're not overflowing, nobody's going to say, how do I get to drink some of that water? If, if your fountain isn't flowing, nobody wants to dive in. And so the, the new evangelism is to develop a life that actually uh, people understand that there's outflow in it. Now, this is... And I'll be happy to send you the PowerPoint if you want it so you don't feel like you have to write things down and take notes. But really, you you review the PowerPoint on your own time at home. Uh, The outflow starts with the Holy Spirit puts something in you, and it flows to you, and from you it flows to your family and friends, and then to the community and out to the broader world. But the flow's got to be there. And a lot of times people say, uh, you know, I just want to flow myself. But it's got to be coming from God. It's got to be the Holy Spirit flowing to you. I, I like the analogy that it's, it's a multi-tiered fountain, that it flow, it goes up and it flows down. The, the fountain will only flow so far as, as there's power pushing the water up. Uh, I've got a, um, I, a cheap little fountain in my backyard and um, the fountain is cheap but the pump that pumps the water is not. I've learned that. Um, every year I learn that. <laughs> the, the, the pump isn't cheap. Well, the pump can only pump the water if, it's, if it has power to it. Uh, when the power goes off, the water doesn't pump. we will only be able to outflow if the Holy Spirit is giving it, is We're in tune with what God is saying to us and we're listening to him. If, if you're not in a close relationship with the Father, you're not going to be able to do evangelism. And I think that part of the reason that we, every year when we do the survey here at the well, people write evangelistically faithful pretty low, is that's a really safe way of saying, I'm just not that satisfied that I'm listening to the Holy Spirit. Because when we start to really listen to the Holy Spirit, it flows out of us. You start to recognize that every person around us needs to drink what we're drinking that everybody around us is going to be eternal, and they need a taste of that eternal water. The, the two stories that are in John in 3 and 4, of Nicodemus comes to Jesus and says, I've heard you teach, I've got some questions. That's that's a lot like my student coming and saying, I've heard what you said, I've got some questions. The other side of that is, is the woman at the well where Jesus goes to her and says, do you, do you know what you're doing? Do you know what you're you know what this is, we have to understand that, that new evangelism is sometimes people will come and ask us before it calls they're attractive, but at other times you've got to say to them, "Do you understand that?" The, the story of Philip. Um, he 's he's just on his way somewhere, and he sees an Ethiopian, and the Ethiopian is, is reading the Old Test part of the Old Testament, and Philip interrupts him and says, "Do you understand what you're reading?" Do you know what's there? They were on their way in their normal pace of life rather than they didn't set an appointment to do evangelism. And new evangelism means wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whatever the ongoing relationships are, set yourself up to have those conversations. And we have, at church, messed up the idea of evangelism that you have to... Get on a plane and go somewhere to do it effectively. If, if you're not doing it in your neighborhood, don't think you're going to do it any better in Guatemala. Because it starts where you are. But the prayer I prayed um, a few years ago um, was God, give me opportunities to be with people who don't know you. Now, that that may not have been the most spiritual prayer because at the time I was a seminary professor and I was about up to here with Christians uh, who really wanted just to talk about spiritual things and not necessarily do spiritual things. And they were all talking, and I prayed, God, you got to get me out of this. So he moved me to Fresno. I'm not teaching at a <laughs> seminary. And then I asked, you know, I, I need to, to be around people. And I, I was part of the well, but I kept praying, God, give me opportunities to be with people who don't know you. Because if, if I believe really what I think I believe, it, it will be true in the relationships with people who don't have this background. And so I moved to a neighborhood that uh, with people who are pretty different from me and I stopped praying the prayer. Okay, God, I get it. Because God was concerned with my address here on earth, not just in heaven. And so he puts me in a neighborhood where every day I get opportunities to talk to people who don't believe anything that I believe. Every day, yeah, whether it's, it's the back fence, the side yard, the front yard, the mail carrier, the people who pick up the cans. Um, I, I have an ongoing relationship with, with a family of, of dumpster divers that you know, I, I just get to have it. But the key in new evangelism is staying in the relationship long enough that you get to earn the right to talk to them about spiritual things. So I've got some, some steps to walk through, and then I'll give you an opportunity to. so I just don't talk to you. There's four layers of need that, that people have, that we've got to work through the layers to get there. Uh, you know, Maslow's hierarchy it comes from there, but I don't want to be too academic about this, but four layers of need. This is where Jesus started, too. That first layer of need is, is physical needs. Uh, if we're going to build relationships with people, you've got to start with the physical things. In, um, in my neighborhood, um, I'm a fat guy, so of course it started with food. Um, there's, there's the family that lived two doors down from me. I, I knew them. We passed each other, saw them. Um, I knew stuff was going on and found out from another neighbor that the guy's brother uh, kept relapsing, going back and forth in, in and out of rehab. Well, I... Um, I didn't know enough names or enough information to know how to get, you know, have a conversation about that. You know, it's not exactly the first thing you say. Hi, I'm your neighbor. I hear you're in rehab. Um, don't do that. But so I, I did what a guy from the south would do. I made a cake, um, and and went and knocked on the door and said, "Hi, I I live two doors down. I haven't lived here that long, but I uh, just wanted to to." To say hi and thought you might like a cake. <laughs> and they said, um, honestly, um, she said, Are you kidding? And I said, No. And I, Did you make it? Yep, yeah, I made it. And she said, I, I, I like cake. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like cake. And I said, Obviously, I do too. And she, I like cake. And, and she said, You live here? And I said, yeah. And she said, you want some cake? And I said, yeah. And I made it about three feet in the door. And we ate a piece of cake. And next thing I know, she's at my door saying, you know, Bill's brother is in and out of rehab. Do you know anything about that? And I, and I said, a, a little bit. And next thing you know, she's in my door. And next thing you know, her husband's in my door. <laughs> and next thing you know, their kids in my everywhere. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I thought, if I'm going to have a relationship with them, I need to know where they're good how to get somebody in rehab fast here. And so I started doing the research, and Shelley's here with Evangel Home, and you know that's part of it. If it's, you're a woman, you need help. And, you know. So f- to be effective in evangelism, I had to know a whole lot about physical needs. You know, where do you get help fast? And how do, I, how do I do that? And it's the same way in your neighborhood. What do you need to know to get in the door? You know, and it, I think a lot of times it starts with cake. <laughs> and I think it starts with cookies. I think it starts with cake. And I think uh, in my own neighborhood, I, um, I walked around, uh, was walking around, it was near Fresno High, and uh, i just moved there, and I'm walking down the street and saw a guy I recognized, I'd seen him once at the well. And I, I stop and say, hey, and he's mowing the yard. And I said, I didn't think this was your house he says, it's not. I live in the gray house next door. I said, so what, what are you doing? He said, I mow my neighbor's yard. And he said, every time I mow, I mow their yard, too. And I said, obvious question, why? It's 112 degrees, and you're mowing somebody else's yard. And he said, if I'm ever going to talk to them, I've got to start with the yard. And there again, if we're ever going to move, we've got to move into active kindness. It's not random acts, it's active. If we want a relationship, you've got to do something active. Active kindness. How we treat people's kids. How you, you talk to them in the neighborhood. How you respond to the mail carrier. What, you know, the activity is what matters. So the first layer is to work through the physical needs. I could spend a whole lot more time there because that's my favorite part. The next one is... is um, emotional needs. you have to brush up on active listening skills. My, my neighbor, they had, you know, wanted to get the brother into rehab, but they actually just wanted to talk about how hard it was. And they needed somebody to sit and talk. And I realized, you know, I, I, I'm just not set up for that. I, I, gotta, I gotta put a chair on my porch to sit and talk to people. And for a year and a half, uh, that family came and cried over their brother and he would get out of rehab and I would realize he's still a little cracked out and he would end up on my porch. Because we've got to practice our active listening skills. If we're going to talk about spiritual things, you've got to spend a lot of time talking about some unspiritual things. Bad marriages, bad relationships, bad kids, um, whatever you know, drug of choice is. I mean, you've got to have conversations about emotional and relational needs and really learn how to do active listening. And you don't have to end with a Bible verse, because you go there too fast and you've lost them. They feel like, you're just trying to sell me tide. You're just trying to sell that to me, rather than you're not caring about me. Third one is layers of needs. This is a little di- different, just directional needs. Practice the art of active wondering with people. A uh, question that I use is, what do you what do you think God thinks about that? You have, help people to start wondering when they say, "I'm wondering if we should do so and so." And in my neighborhood, I've got people who who are either being foreclosed on, have been foreclosed on, or at any minute will be <laughs> foreclosed. And the conversations that we get to have are, "You think God cares about this?" And they just look at me like, "I don't know. Never thought about that." Do you think He knows? You think this matters, uh, what do you think, where, where are you going to go, and how does this affect your, your heart and what you feel like? You know, relationships, finances, career, school, help people with that, I think, called active wondering. I want you to wonder about it. Um, moving from active caring to active listening, now to active wondering. You know, I, I may not have it all figured out, but I want to wonder with you. And if you make a decision, I'm going to hang in there with you in the decision. This is not easy to do because uh, helping people think deeply about things is they're usually moving too fast. We're usually moving too fast. Just um, not to to overwhelm the information, my my dad um, spent uh, almost 30 years of his life selling seeds. Um, he would leave on Monday morning. He would return to the house on Friday. He went to feed and seed stores all over South Carolina and Georgia and North Carolina. Um, I, a couple of times, went with him. I realized that he could, uh, he could make a seed sale in less than five minutes, but we would sit in a, uh, usually a hardware store somewhere out in the country for about an hour and a half, and he would say, by the way, I have a seed catalog. And I thought, Dad, this is not efficient. And the first time I spent a week with him, I said, wow, that's a whole lot of talking. And I soon learned that I thought my father was a seed salesman. I I only learned just before he died he owned the company. And that's the way he found out what to order uh, for the whole company. I thought he was making a $200 sale he was ordering soybean seeds in the millions of dollars based on long conversations. And I come back here that active listening and active wondering, it takes time to do. He stayed in the same Red Roof Inn and ate in the same diners for almost 30 years. And um, I asked him one day, don't you get bored? And he said, I know every person I know every waitress by name and their kids' names, and I've been to most of their graduations and weddings. (laughs) And I said, what does that give you? And he says, the right to talk to them. And um, we have to take time to earn the right. And we're usually moving much too fast in order to do that. New evangelism is slow. spiritual needs. Once you work through the first three, people will self-consciously grant you the right and the credibility. They'll know you care about more things than just selling them Jesus. You know, you'll, to practice the final skill, which is active sharing. This is when you need to know how to say, tell them about your relationship with Jesus. Um, the worst thing you can do here is, is argue. Or get into a debate about you know, where did Adam's sons marry their wives, or um, sin, or you know, you know, some current social issue. This is not the point. Just tell them about how you live with Jesus. And we get derailed, I think, by the enemy, who wants to veer us off the path not to tell them about the relationship, but to talk about the, the stats and the, and the rules and the regulations which is just what the Pharisees wanted Jesus to do. Keep the law. Jesus said, grace. And people will want us to jump to the rules. And we have to keep steering the conversation back to the grace. People are going to last forever and God gives us the grace and and through His grace He keeps us in long-term relationships. And that's why moving to this layer of, of, of active sharing takes some time to get there. This was um, a remarkable phrase that I is in a, a great little book called Outflow. Our lives, as ordinary and mundane as they may seem to us, can have a wonderful and eternal influence on the lives of others. It's the outflow of your life, not necessarily what you say. It's, it's how you live. It's what your mail is. It's where you live. It's all of those things. It's the whole sort of ball of wax of who you are and taking the time with people to listen, to hear what their hearts are saying and to get to know them and to learn to do real, really good active listening for active sharing. But it starts sometimes with active caring. In fact, almost always starts with... Um, it, it's, it's a cliche that um, makes great t-shirt. People will not care what you know until they know that you care. And I put it in terms of they won't know, care who you know until they know that you care. They don't want to know about Jesus until they know you love them. And once they know you love them, they'll start to trust you enough to open up their eternal life What matters? Well, first of all, the question is, who are you? How do you define yourself in God? Who who are you? Uh, People will be attracted to the who you are. My uh, roommate in college was overly spiritual, and he had this sign over the door that said, who you are, speak so loudly people can't hear what you say. And every day we walked out under the who you are phrase. Um, And and thinking about that, uh, today, he and his his wife are finish, finishing their 28th year in a little uh, village called Mount Hagen in, in Papua New Guinea where there are Wycliffe Bible translators. They are absolutely off the beaten path. I mean, there isn't even a path to get off of there. Um, and I just saw them for the first time in 20 years. About two months ago, we had dinner together in, in Dallas, and I said how far have you gotten in that translation? You know, you should have two or three Bibles done by now. And he said, well, we're, we, you know, we started in Matthew, and we finally made it you know, almost to the end of Luke. And I said, Why well, that really takes a long time. He said, well, we first had to help them develop their own alphabet so that they could be able to create an alphabet to write down words or things that they actually needed to have for health care in their village. And Mac reminded me, he said, we started with their physical needs before we'll be able to finish the gospel to share with them about their spiritual needs. And And 28 years later, I said, what makes the biggest difference? And he repeated, who you are speaks so loudly, people can't hear what you say. We had to live in the village with them, for them to give us credibility. Our kids had to go to their school. We couldn't send them to the missionary compound. We had to dress like them. We had to eat what they ate. Um, and dumb song, he said, you know that thing we used to sing, where where you um, wherever you you lead, I will follow, you know. Whatever you feed me, I will swallow. And um, there's a joke there. Uh, he said, if we made ourselves so different from them, they'd never trust us. And that's so true for you. If you make yourself too different, they won't trust that you can speak truth into their life. That's why where you live matters. How you live matters. What your male is matters. Next, why are you here? Great old Russian tale of, of a man who uh, in, in Russia during the Cold War was guarding a, you know, at a guard post and a man was walking in the snow nearby and um, he, he, the soldier would yell, who are you and why are you here? Who are you and why are you here? Over and over and the man didn't respond and finally the man responded and he yelled back, I'm Jewish. And he said, so? And he said, that's who I am and that's why I'm here. And um, understanding that the who you are and why you're here are so closely connected. If you're a child of God, you're here because we want to display what God is doing in your life. Who you are, why are you here, the daily choices you make. um, It it, it matters because um, I never want to think that people are watching me closely. But those daily choices that I make make a difference because my neighbors are watching. My students are watching. Um, my, um, I, I was getting on my bike and um, going, going for a bike ride a couple of Sundays ago in the afternoon. And, and my neighbor came out and said, I'm glad to see you on the bike. And I said, thanks. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, you know how to respond to that. But thank you. She said, because she have been getting a lot of weight lately. And I said, um, "Yeah, she said, "I fear, you, she said, "I don't think you can be all that effective with that much weight on you." And I said, "Thank you, because she's watching. And I thought, if I'm going to have an opportunity to talk to her about her life, she's got to have the opportunity to talk to me about mine. We earned the right by our credibility, by our daily choices. And then our responses and relationships. Um, my neighbors know they can talk to me because there's a lot of traffic at my house, and they know they won't be the only ones coming. That um, How we respond to people in our relationships. I, I, I would suggest that you start praying God give you relationships with people who don't know Jesus yet that he opened the doors widely for you. The new evangelism isn't that you talk to people that you're comfortable with and you get to a, a decision. The decision sometimes comes far down the line, maybe even 28, 29 years down the line. Next. What, can, what are some things that can clog your fountain, keep you from overflowing? First of all is that idea of doubt. That I have nothing, I doubt my faith, I doubt God, I doubt Doubt will clog the fountain, will keep you from overflowing. Second thing, and I think this is pretty big, is an improper view of yourself, meaning it's too good or too bad. A lot of times people you know, will say, I, I can't really talk to other people about my relationship with God because I don't like it. Well, it's not perfect, I'm not perfect, that's exactly why we need it, because of our imperfection. That idea sometimes that you've you got your act together, that you're so good people can't talk to you that um, that will make a difference. Third, plain old fear. Um, scripture reminds us that God's not the author of fear and he doesn't give us that kind of we're just intimidated. Third, feeling like we're an unclean vessel. Well, the issue there if it's sin, uh, God says if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin. Take care of, of your sin before you can talk to other people in terms of have conversations about theirs. And then the last one is, as I call it, the water thief—the the thief that sucks water out of the fountain. One of the things that I'm, I'm noticing in my fountain is I have to put new water in it almost every day. Um, not not because of the amount of birds that come to it, is because uh, there are four cats that come and will lick every—you know—they'll drink all day at my fountain. They they essentially steal the water uh, out of there. And it's the it's, it's like your car tires. Yeah, 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 all these things. But the water thief is, uh, looks like this, which is pretty clear here. Um, <laughs> think, keeping that, that fountain analogy in mind, that what will suck the water, suck the, the life and the energy of that fountain in is a focus on you. And um, Anne Lamott, has a, the writer, has a great phrase. She says, I just can't seem to get me off my mind. That idea that a life that sucks is just me-centered. No one is going to find you attractive or find anything in your life that's irresistible that they want to have if it's all about you. In in fundraising, we say if you want to ask somebody for money, ask them for advice. If you want advice, ask them for money. Because people want to talk about themselves, and if you don't want to overflow, make it all about you. Phrases like, serve me, listen to me, love me, share with me. Sometimes when you talk about people to people about where they live, they go, well, I want this for my kids. I want to be sure that I'm safe. I want to be sure that my car is safe. I want to be sure. Well, no wonder people don't give you credibility. It's all about you. And sometimes that can be disguised as being about your kids. So... Is it all about you? So how do you describe your relationship with God, your relationship with your family? How do you describe what your fountain's like? And knowing how to have the conversations about your relationship with God. Um, When I um, was was sick a a few years ago, uh, a woman at a doctor's office asked me, as I came in and I had to go two or three times a week, she said, aren't you really ticked off at God for being this sick? And, and I thought, I've got a choice here. I can be el- ultra-spiritual and say, oh, no, he, he loves me so much. Uh, he let my brain explode. Um, no. I said, yeah, most of the time I am. And I said, but I learned to trust him. And I also learned that I can be angry with him, and that's okay. Four years later, she said, I want to know a God that I can be angry at. And from her background, that was some, a whole new idea for her. Is your life attractive? Is it irresistible? Is it overflowing? Is it like a fountain, or is it, you well, know, is it stagnant? Or do people find anything in your life attractive that they would want to drink out of? Is there anything in your life that's irresistible? When people say, "I can't," I just want to be around what you have and who you know the relationships that you have, and that idea of, of is it overflowing? Questions for you as, as you go. Um, your life legacy. What will you be known for? I mean, how will people remember what you offered in your community, in your neighborhood? Um, this, this is a, a statue, um, great story about it. They moved this statue from uh, the middle of a street in Richmond, Virginia and uh, it's a statue of Robert E. Lee on a horse, and um, a very well-documented story. They moved it from the middle of a street in an African-American neighborhood, and a young African-American boy went home and told his parents that I really, really miss, miss the statue that was there, and it was Robert E. Lee. And she said, really, she, he said, I looked at that statue every day and I really, really admired the statue. And parents thought, well, that's very odd. I mean, he's, you know, he's, he does. Maybe he doesn't know. He said, "He said, but I've always wondered, who is that? Who is that man writing Lee?" Yeah. Um, oh. um, and because under it, it said Lee, the legacy. Sometimes people can miss it because we we sometimes have have not done anything significant enough in our relationships that people even remember us. And if you're going to have a life that's overflowing, you have to understand we've got to have relationships deep enough that people are are impacted by our lives. Last two questions here. Three questions here. What I want you to think about is, what did you hear in in our time together? What did you hear? What's it mean? And what are you going to do with it? Because I I don't have a whole lot of step one, two, three things. I do have, um, it's the relationships with people that give you the best entree into having conversations. I would not suggest having a conversation without a relationship. That's a little bit like um, um, marrying someone that you've just met. Um, Remember that people are eternal and are going to last forever. And so we can trust that it will take a long time to establish the kind of relationship and God's grace will give us an ongoing period of relationships. Um, I'm, um, I've become a, a, a little Facebook geek lately, um, and I admit it. Uh, thank you, Shelley Fritz, for getting me hooked, and I blame her completely for that. Um, but one of the, the benefits is, um, is people from, um, from college and high school, and we found each other, and we live all over the country. And uh, a woman from my freshman year of college put a Facebook note on, on my Facebook yesterday that said, um, I, I'm reminded every day of something you said in our freshman year. Okay, I have no idea what I said in my freshman year, but she reminded me, said, God loves you more than you can ever love yourself. Don't you ever forget it. She said, You wrote it for me. And, um, it's, um, it's actually a phrase that was written to me in the front of my Bible um, that I wrote to other people. And she says, it's taken me all these many years to recognize you were right. Um, the influence that you can have leads to evangelism. Evangelism leads to conversion. To share the good news of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit leads the results to God. What I want you to think about is not just what I said, but what it means to you. Thanks a lot.